from Madison, Wisconsin, World Dairy Expo presents The Dairy Show, the digital meeting place of the global dairy industry, where we sit down to talk cows, cutting edge technology, and the colored shavings. Hello and welcome back to The Dairy Show. I'm your host, Katie Schmidt, and joining me today for episode number two is managing editor of Hordes Dairyman, Mr. Corey Geiger. Welcome to The Dairy Show, Corey. Well, Katie, I'm really glad to be here uh, today with you. And uh, while I truly missed World Dairy Expo, there are so many avenues here that we're trying to repair and uh, capture some of the connections we had. While it's not perfect, uh, we're, we're doing all right. Yeah, I think we are too. And you're obviously very involved in World Dairy Expo and have an extensive history in the dairy industry and in air culture. So as we get started, why don't you talk a little bit about that and introduce yourself to our listeners? Well, uh, my first time to World Dairy Expo was in 1990 as a member of the Wisconsin Fate state 4-H dairy cattle judging team and uh, walking in the Coliseum I was hooked forever on World Dairy Expo and its pomp and circumstance that was from the eyeballs of a 17 year old at the time uh, eventually I started school at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Uh, some people thought that I would do good at running the cheese stand, and I was co-chair of that for two years, and then eventually uh, started here at Hordes Dairyman before I graduated from college and uh, been here for 25 years and a volunteer at World Dairy Expo for over 20, well, for those same 25 years, not counting the Badger Dairy Club experience there, which would make it 29 Throughout my journey at World Dairy Expo, I've worked with the National 4-H Dairy Cattle Judging Contest. I've uh, been superintendent for over 12 years for the college contest. Uh, you know, there's a number of organizations that work with World Dairy Expo. The Klusendorf uh, Society or Association is one of them. I've been their secretary treasurer now for uh, 18 years. And uh, just volunteer, supreme champion, closing ceremonies and other places where uh, people think that I could be helpful. And uh, most recently this past year, I started serving on the World Dairy Expo Board of Directors. So lots of little connections with World Dairy Expo, and I consider it uh, part of my professional family. And outside of World Dairy Expo, what does your involvement in the agricultural industry look like? So uh, lead the team here at Hordes Dairyman. We have an English, Spanish, and Chinese edition. So I uh, lead the editorial team from that standpoint. Uh, our family had a dairy farm for many years. Uh, life transition happened there in my we no longer milk cows due to my father's death, but uh, my wife's family at Carnegie Farms, we uh, dairy there as well, and I have some cows there, and they're transitioning to new robots and renovating their 21-year-old robot barn. That is the first ro commercial robot barn in, in North America. Actually, I scrubbed that in, in the United States because Canada was one year earlier there. So a little bit from the farming background there, I'm running our 400-acre dairy farm, uh, minus the cows now, farm up in Reedsville, uh, president of the Holstein Association these days, leading the board of directors there, and uh, a number of other things uh, that I do in the industry. But uh, overall, I really enjoy what I do in dairy, and I really love serving farmers. Yeah, and obviously there's a lot we can talk about here, a wealth of knowledge on many different topics. But what I want to focus on today is actually this dairy live stream that Horse Dairyman started back in April, I believe. And if you want to give us the rundown as to the how and the when and the why the dairy live stream started and really what the premise of this program is. Well, the why was real. Uh, I think we'll start with the why there. In really the pandemic, the novel coronavirus, there were so many things happening so quickly 
quickly uh, if you're from the dairy farm perspective for dairymen and dairy women out in the countryside here. You, you went from uh, does my milk have a home to my milk price and uh, cheese prices crashing to a dollar per pound here on April 28th and then skyrocketing o- over to $3 a pound six weeks later and violent volatility and trying to unravel all that, trying to talk about how we're going to ensure there's enough dairy products in stores and get people to lift the signs that they had uh, limiting two purchases of milk and all these things that were just flying at us like tornadoes and hurricanes. So I had, leading up to that, I had been on my list that I wanted to develop either a podcast like we're on here or a webcast that was really dynamic, that we got people on, that we weren't scripted, that we would talk through things. Because one thing I've learned, there's a uh, no easy button answer here to what we're dealing with in the coronavirus. And uh, but if we get good people together, we can solve some of these problems. So as that was taking place, I was—I uh, actually received a call from Mark Stevenson. It was almost uh, April 1, if I remember right. And uh, it was not April Fool's, but Mark called and said, uh, hey, I have this idea for a webcast. And he starts talking. And it, in about 45 seconds in the conversation, I said, whoa, 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 Mark, I really like your idea. Give me 10 seconds. And I ran over to uh, John Mansavage's office, our head of marketing, and I I asked that Mark start repeating what he said. And uh, quite frankly, from that call to 10 days later, we were up and running with our first dairy live stream event here produced by Hordes Dairyman. And we have had a wide breadth of guests that come on there. The only thing we really script is we have a dress rehearsal the day before, just so that we can introduce our guests to each other, uh, get them comfortable with what we're going to talk about. And then I feel that really has been important There's a lot of unease in the countryside, and I understand that. And I've been, you know, I have unease too with what's going on with the coronavirus, and you do, Katie. Your world has changed in the offices of World Dairy Expo. I wanted to have the program be half questions from the audience and be able, the talent I think I brought to the table for Dairy Livestream is being nimble enough. Caitlin Allen, uh, Maggie Gillis, and Kristen Brogy, who work with me, can help me move through these questions, and I can knit them together for our panel so that we have a cohesive webcast here, but really try to answer what's on the minds of those at home milking cows. So really, we went from uh, ideation to go time in 10 days, which is almost incredible. That is incredible. That's that's almost unheard of to be able to go that fast and to be able to navigate all the different pieces that you guys have put together. And I personally really do love the the producer questions, and I think it gives the dairy live stream a, a great advantage in talking about these topics that are so timely for producers. It gives them a chance to ask questions of these experts. And you had mentioned a couple of experts, or at least one so far by name, in Mark Stevenson. Can you uh, share a little bit as to who he is? for some of our listeners who might not be familiar. Mark Stevenson is with the University of Wisconsin-Madison. He's lead dairy economist there. And uh, Mark and Andy Novakovic, who is recently retired a professor emeritus from Cornell and moved back to Wisconsin, where he actually uh, is native 
from. And then Chris Wolf, who shifted from Michigan State to Cornell, is kind of our three amigos here. And early on, it was the three of uh, them plus me on Dairy Livestream. And then we started onboarding guests here. And, and why those three? Why Mark, Andy, and Chris? They're economists, but they're kind of farmer economists that we can talk through things. And what we hope is that we make them germane to things that are going on the farm. And those three gentlemen have a uh, dairy economist forum each year, usually in May. And I've been invited to speak to it a couple times. I think I'm a little unique in the world of dairy journalists here. I'll confess, I only have taken one writing course in my life. Um, I've been learning ever since in that realm. I was a, a dairy science major in ag economics. And so I'm really good with numbers. And I I've learned to tell a story. So I think that's how we paired pretty well. And then we started identifying the topics. What are producers concerned about? So very early, we had demand reconstruction and we invited CEOs uh, from California Milk Advisory Board uh, and CEO of Dairy Farmers Wisconsin. And we're trying to get variety from different parts of the country. And then we had milk being dumped. So we talked about tapping the brakes on milk flow. And then we looked at what's this looking like at the co-op here, because they're really being nimble and dynamic. And about that time in early May, we were seeing uh, COVID outbreaks in our meat processing plants. And thankfully, because of the way they're structured, that wasn't happening in dairy. And then obviously the dairy export markets uh, became a bit tumultuous there. And I think that's important. I, you know, we can talk about how many billions of dollars we export and all that. And I don't think people can really wrap their head around that. Recently, I put it so, I, I maybe it's too simplistic, but if we took all the cows in Wisconsin, Illinois, and Vermont right now, they are working full-time to fill exports. That's how much that's grown. And 20 years ago, we wouldn't have needed all the cows in Manitowoc County, where I grew up from, to do that. So I, I think, you know, we're taking these economic and market conditions and saying, why are they meaningful to you on the farm? Sure. So you're bringing it down, or I should say bringing it down to a producer level, but you're at least bringing it to a producer level where there is, there's a connection there. And it's not just big numbers. It's not just theoreticals. It's not just large concepts. It's actually how these topics are impacting farmers on a farm level. Absolutely. And I think what really I, I've keeps me grounded when I go back to Reedsville, Wisconsin, or go to the Carnegie Farm in Amro, and you're just sitting there talking to dairy men and women and here and listening, doing a lot more listening and a lot less talking to what they're saying. And and let them play devil's advocate. Why the hell do I care about exports? Or why you know, California makes a bunch of dry milk powder. That's not a concern of mine. Well, it is, and here's why. And so it, it, they challenge me to make it relevant to them. Sure, and, and through that challenge, I mean, we actually have fruitful discussions too. We can actually talk about topics that maybe we wouldn't otherwise, even when the questions are asked sarcastically or facetiously, it still leads to a discussion and that I think leads to, to progress for everybody. And you've kind of alluded to this a little bit, but things have changed a lot in six months since uh, the dairy live stream started and, and where the topics have gone um, since this project began. But how, how has really that information evolved? And is the information that was shared at the beginning back in April, when we were still starting to understand the pandemic and its effects in our markets, is that information still true today? Or how has that changed and evolved to be where we are today? Well, I would say there's webcasts you could go back and listen to and say, yes, that's important yet today. And then there's others like tapping the brake on milk flow. We're not really at that point. 
but we're not out of the woods yet either. You know, we may we may go back there. Um, you know, the dairy finance pivot conversation with uh, guests from BMO Harris and CoBank or Farm Credit East is as relevant as ever because a good strong balance sheet is important to the farm financial health. We're actually, we started inviting a, a few guests back here and one of them is Dairy Remains a Powerhouse. What we've learned through this pandemic are people are craving healthy foods. They're concerned more about people's their own personal health than probably ever before. Gallup recently had a poll and it rated 25 industries in the United States. And for the first time ever, who came out on top? Well, the first group was farmers. The next group was grocers and the next group's restaurants. So what is that telling? The general population is saying food and health is important. And actually out of that group, healthcare came in fourth. So people were focusing on food. Can I feed my family before they were even focusing on healthcare? So some of the webcasts may not uh, be completely germane but the uh, people that were speaking on them, you know, uh, our next three webcasts here, and I don't really project them too far out because we want to stay nimble, but uh, this uh, we're going to have, can we sell that cheese? And that's going to be a bigger picture thing, talking about geographical indications and in common cheese names that are getting taken away in trade agreements with uh, European Union and other countries. Then we're gonna come back to the dairy markets. Dairy remains a powerhouse. And then probably, you know, some people are really into this and some are not, but this topic here, taking a position on milk prices, we're gonna be talking about dairy revenue protection and dairy uh, margin coverage. One thing, we none of us know when this pandemic will be past us. We don't know for sure when a virus or vaccine will be here and those kind of things. You know, we're making some projections for 2021. We certainly hope that by uh, next September, we'll be ready to go all systems go on World Dairy Expo. But in the meantime, we could have a heck of a roller coaster yet. I, I just harvested my soybeans on our farm, you know, and I decided to cut them loose and sell them immediately. Maybe the maybe that was a bad decision. Maybe the market will go up a dollar here yet. They're starting to inch up. Or maybe the exports will crash and they'll go to $8. We don't know. But the reason I think more than ever farmers need to think about this is let's take dairy revenue protection and dairy margin coverage and these other tools. They're insurance. I don't buy insurance hoping my barn burns down and I have coverage. I buy insurance so that that old poop moment happens, I can survive to battle another day. And that's really what some of this pandemic is about. Right. And really those market lessons and those programs that are out there are true, regardless of if we're in a pandemic or not. Farmers are always going to be figuring out if they should be selling their soybeans now or their soybeans in January. Or, you know, dairy is obviously a little bit more different because it is marketed so consistently. But, you know, are you contracting in futures? Are you selling at a price that day? And I think there's always programs out there and decisions to make. But what are some of those programs that are out there? And you kind of talked about two of them, but some people might refer to, to all of those acronyms that, that exist in the dairy market world as really alphabet soup almost. And how do you keep them all straight? What are the programs that farmers should be paying attention to? How do they interact with each other or, or work with or against each other? So I think for anyone milking under 200 cows, 225 cows, you have to really take a good hard look at dairy margin coverage program and that's dmc that's the one that was in the last farm bill they adjusted the uh and, and you know its predecessor uh had a little bit of a dirty connotation to it because it didn't pay out you, you bought coverage things weren't going well on the farm you didn't get a insurance payment 
And this really was an insurance program, and quite frankly, nobody wanted to call it that in the beginning. But now we adjusted the uh, price for alfalfa and that feed coverage in there, and that brought up to this point this year, according to Scott Brown, and I know his numbers are right, he's at University of Missouri, an additional $75 million in payments to dairy farmers So uh, in 2020 to this point. So if you're under 225, you got to go in on that program. The, 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 it's incentivized to do so. Dairy revenue protection, for example, I'll use a real-world example here. Uh, Carnegie Farms, they milk 120 cows. They're in a DMC. And then we were like, wow, this is these markets are tough. They're just tough. And we're double insured. We went on dairy revenue protection. We're double insured through the rest of the year here. He's spending a lot of, Charlie's spending a lot of money on uh, new robots, and we need to be protected, Charlie and Pete, his father. And so those are some things. Now, do, am I saying go out and get double insured? No, because you can insure yourself to unprofitability too. But if the numbers are right, take a look at it. A lot of the larger farms are looking at dairy revenue protection. And I know of farms who made a quite a bit of money through quarter two, that's April to June during those price troughs because they had dairy revenue protection. And you know, the thing of it in the countryside, if I did well during that time, I'm not going to go run around locally and say, hey, I made money during that time when, when my neighbors were hurting. So you don't hear those stories when almost 25% of the nation's milk was insured in that time. So there's those two programs. And there's a lot of people that will go on to CME down in Chicago and uh, do class three uh, futures or class four futures or those kind of things too. There are so many tools. The thing is I've learned and it's been tough for me. I'm kind of a self, I like doing things myself. And I've learned recently through this journey, find people you trust, ask their opinion, and then make the best decision you can because we can't be experts in all this. You know, we're trying to run a farm, we're trying to run a cropping enterprise, you're trying to navigate the pandemic. And if you try to do this all yourself, your head's gonna just explode. Yeah, and advisors are, that's why farms have advisory teams, right? So that you can have experts in different areas and you can talk and work together and come up with the best plan out there. But it is good to know that there are programs available for farmers that are paying out and people are seeing more stable income, maybe. I wouldn't say like a great income, but a more stable income. So at least you can plan and you can make decisions that allow you to have those strong financial balance sheets out there. So this is actually kind of a perfect lead in. Listeners don't know this and many people outside of like a small inner circle don't know this, but had World Dairy Expo 2020 taken place, you, Corey, would have actually given a talk on milk markets and how they're rapidly changing and the processing landscape that we're seeing. And that was a topic that was selected back in like December, January timeframe. Um, so well before the pandemic started and how things have changed in the last months. But what would have been some of those big takeaways, excluding the last six months, had you given that talk? So without the pandemic in play, what would that talk have looked like? And how were those markets changing already prior to all of this so quickly? And how was that processing landscaping changing already? So what I will say to start with, the speed of change is just getting faster. For, for anyone who stands there and says, I don't like change, you're going to have to embrace it, whether you like it or not. 20 years ago in the dairy processing community, almost all of our processors were American-owned, U.S.-owned, and that has changed quite a bit. Now, people can debate, and so one of the things I would have talked about during that at World Dairy Expo educational session would be, we can debate whether that's good or bad. Here's what's happening, and to some degree, infusion of capital 
into processing benefits dairy farmers. I'm going to repeat that again. Infusion of capital into processing, dairy processing, benefits dairy farmers. Ask anyone in Michigan as milk tankers were spilling out of their highways going to the northeast, rounding Chicago, coming up into Wisconsin, and that cheese or milk in those tankers were selling for half of its value. So they have a cheese plant going online here very shortly, and that will change the dynamics of that marketplace. Obviously, one part of it is putting a cheese plant online. The second part is selling that cheese, and that's probably the most important part. So a lot of things did change since that topic got selected. Now let's put COVID-19 to the side. Dean Foods goes bankrupt. Borden goes bankrupt. DFA buys most of the critical assets of Dean Foods. Borden is bought by a group of investors. CRAFT, Kraft, that uh, my parents' generation will remember the uh, advertisements for the CRAFT, sells many of their natural uh, cheese assets to Lactalis based out of France. So that talks about how other Parts of the world are looking to the U.S. as a growing milk supply. Saputo up in Canada uh, and Agripur have done a lot of investments here in the United States and actually are top 10 processors now and are on the verge of having a bigger produced uh, footprint here, manufacturing footprint in the United States versus their home countries of Canada. So all those things are taking place. Lactalis is coming in here, Glanbia, a little bit of Arla, and we can go through those lists. So is that good or bad? Should our co-ops be doing that? Should a domestic company be doing that? You know, we have fair life on the scene now as well. But I think innovation will be the answer to our future in dairy. Millennials, Gen Z, they're changing. They're not going to eat consumer uh, products like myself, who's in his uh, mid, well, pushing the f- closer to 50 than 40 at this point. So we have to be relevant to them. They want to try new things. And if we do the status quo, we will not be in a place we want to be. Our milk consumption per capita, it's a term that is used by economists per capita. All it means is how much does the average American consume? The answer to that is 653 pounds of milk per year. Now it's turned into cheese. It's turned into butter. That number is now at, all, at the highest level since a guy named President Lyndon Johnson in the early 1960s. In 1960, fluid milk was carrying today. As Mark Stevenson from UW-Madison will say, we're now riding a cheese horse. So we've changed as an industry. And what, you know, cheese is still part of our future. Perhaps we can rebound the fluid milk and we should continue to try to do that because that's the highest margin, the best return to the dairy farm milk check. But what's in between there? What, what are these products that could be developed? And as we get more processing capital in here, uh, that could benefit dairy farmers. However, as more people come from all overseas and out of country, Canada, uh, Europe, may, dairy farmers may not own as many of those assets either. That may be a bit uncomfortable. Kind of, This whole topic is a little bit like the pandemic, quite frankly, because uh, there's no easy button answer and it takes a lot of bright minds to talk through it. So that would have been some of the discussion. I have a lot of facts and figures to back all that up, but without a screen, uh, I would never start citing all those numbers because I would have people's heads spinning. And I think we want to talk concepts here. 
Absolutely. You also talked a little bit about some of the processing plants that are coming up and how that landscape is changing and these international companies coming in. Obviously, processing and processing plants were a huge topic at the beginning of COVID when we were, you know, our, our markets basically just halted because of the change in in where they were going. We lost restaurants, we lost schools, we lost, you know, outlets for products. How are those processing plants recovering now or are they and are they changing because of what we went through back in March, April and May? So what's interesting, I think a good case study here is looking at the United States and comparing and contrasting it to Europe. And Mike uh, Brown, who's been a longtime person in our dairy industry, and he's now uh, he started at National All Jersey and moved all the way to Kroger and Kroger, speaking of innovation and change, they're processing you know, their own milk now and filling their fluid cases with Kroger product. So there's a change. But Europe is actually set up to be a little bit more nimble because uh, some of their plants can shift product categories and fill things. So, you know, for example, do you need five or 10 gallon tubs of ice cream right now when restaurants are, are sluggish and people aren't going there? Well, no, you don't. Do you have the ability to divert and shift quickly? Some places did. Some cheese plants basically serve the restaurant community and they had to try to find new markets really quick, while other places were making uh, products that were destined for the store shelves. So our industry has been a little bit more specialized here in the United States and even uh, to some degree Canada, where the European companies in Germany and France and in those kind of areas and Holland, of course, a big dairy area could shift a little bit more internally. And, you know, Mike Brown shared with me on dairy live stream, you know, you had to figure out how to get uh, blocks of cheese and blocks of butter back into consumer packaging and real quick. And those were things that required real creativity and nimbleness during the pandemic. So those are things that you, you don't think about. Sure. We had a lot of butter. Sure. We had a lot of cheese. Is it in a package that someone will buy and take home? I, I sure don't need a 10-pound bag of shredded cheese uh, in my house but I that the restaurant previously used. So now you're talking about repackaging. So those are all kinds of things you, you, you just suddenly start wrestling with. So do you think processing plants are going to figure out ways to be more nimble in the future or are they adjusting for the short term, figuring out how to repackage and then at the end of this, they're going to be like, okay, we're going back to our regular markets. You know, I think everybody's in the spectrum on that and the spectrum being everywhere in between to the answer your question. And you have to develop relationships. I, I've been in a number of uh, U.S. dairy export trade mission on behalf of U.S. dairy farmers. And at the end of the day, how we serve a market all starts with people. It's a relationship. Uh, you know, that's why we're having a conversation here on these topics. And we have to understand what people want. And once we understand what they want, will we invest to fulfill it? And it takes money. It takes a lot of money to uh, change a manufacturing plant. Stainless steel is very expensive. A lot of this is computerized technology. I've had the opportunity to be in the Fair Life plant. And if anyone who had ever been in there would see it, I mean, there's really not that many people working in there. They're so socially distanced that, heck, there's 20 yards in between some of these people in the operating room. And that served us well during COVID because we didn't have people, per se, if you look at a plant that's processing dairy cows or steers, standing next to each other. So there's many things going on well for dairy, but we, you can't pivot on a dime here either uh, on changing how that milk 
gets processed and into a package in some of these plants either. Yeah, I think that became extremely evident during the, the initial phases of the pandemic too. And that's when consumers and people outside of agriculture really became aware that there was issues in agriculture they were hearing about. And, and we were all saying, well, no, we're still producing milk. We're still making product. We just can't get it into the form that you want to consume it in or you can consume it in. So I think those conversations just really hadn't taken place or at least not very publicly before the pandemic. So it's it's interesting to see topics like that emerge from all of this. And there's just, I think, more of an awareness um, on both the producer as well as the consumer side in what that looks like. But I do want to ask just one final question as we wrap up. In your opinion, what do milk markets look like in short term and long term? Where where are we going and, and how does this change and evolve? And obviously it's wild card with the pandemic happening, but but in your opinion, where where are we going now and, and into the future? You better ship me a crystal ball here for that one, Katie. I don't I don't think there's a answer to that because there's so many scenarios here. Um you know, what's it look like in the fall and winter with COVID-19 short term? You know, it's, this is a respiratory disease. And any of us that have ever worked with animals know that when uh, we come to winter and colder conditions and moist conditions and, and you know, will, will we have a worse situation than we have right now? What will buying patterns look like? I think the long-term future for dairy is bright, though, and I want to take the long horizon here. Uh, we have a dairy brings so many essential nutrients to the human diet and you know people are trying to replicate those in petri dishes and everything else but we have a long way to go before we go that and then people are going to be wrestling with you know do i want to make some or eat something that was created in a in a lab and so i think dairy has a long and bright future u.s dairy consumption of cheeses at 38 pounds per person that per capita number again but in germany in france in Holland, in Ireland, that number is over 50. And if you have, it takes 100 pounds of milk to take make 10 pounds of cheese, say we grow that number another 10 pounds over the next 10 to 15 years, that, that absorbs a lot of milk. Dairy markets, though, I'll tell you what, if I were, uh, I would tell dairy producers, take a look at your revenue protection, whether whatever that is, if it's dairy revenue protection program, if it's dairy margin coverage, if it's uh, futures market, if it's working with your co-op, the two, you know, they have a lot, number of co-ops have uh, future positions programs that you can work with because we're going to have up ebbs and flows. We have this national election that everybody's aware of here coming in early November. How will the markets react whether uh, Trump gets reelected or Biden is our new president? There will be different scenarios for that. That's a new uh, piece of volatility. You know, we're having the one thing I'll say, I put uh, 3,400 miles here a couple weeks ago here in mid-September, uh, and dairy farmers were spending more time talking about, hey, we're having, for the most part, a great harvest. We'll take aside what happened in Iowa there with the tragic, tragic storm. But corn silage is going in well. It was pretty darn good growing season. We're probably going to land up with very close to the record soybean harvest. So feed feed is going to be good for farmers. So, you know, there's those things going on. Uh, so there's some positive vibes from the dairy community in that. But we will be on a roller coaster here. We're going to have some negative producer price differentials short term here just because class three milk is going to be higher than class four, the butter powder, class three being cheese. Uh, but those things are all going to even out here. We're going to we're going to settle down a little bit, uh, but really got to look cover ourselves to live the fight another day. And if people want to continue learning more about milk markets and the impacts that are happening short term and long term, where can people find dairy live streams um, throughout the year and as they're 
produced live. Yeah, our dairy live stream, it's real simple. Just go to the Hordes Dairyman website, www.hordes.com. And from there, right on our homepage, you'll see the launch portal to get the dairy live stream. And uh, we have all the uh, past webcasts here on YouTube. And when are they broadcasted? What, what's your uh, schedule look like? We're, uh, we've been pretty much aiming here for uh, the first and third Wednesdays of each month right now. Now, if we have some extreme uh, market conditions that come back like we had in April and May, we will go back to a weekly broadcast here. But right now we're going every other week uh, at 11 o'clock Central Daylight Time. Perfect. Yeah, and I love tuning in for them. They're a great educational opportunity for, for folks in the dairy industry. Uh, this conversation has been wonderful. Hopefully listeners have learned something. And again, make sure you're checking out the dairy live streams on that first and third Wednesday of the month. 11 o'clock at hordes.com. And uh, thanks, Corey, for joining us. Uh, appreciate it. It's been a, a very insightful conversation today. My pleasure, Katie. And that is a wrap on this week's episode. Thank you all for tuning in and giving this a listen. Don't forget to hit subscribe on whatever platform you are hearing this on. And don't forget to tell your friends about The Dairy Show. We would love to have them join us as well. And last but not least, if you have any guest suggestions of people you want to hear from or topics you would like us to cover, feel free to send us an email at wde at wdexpo.com. We would love to hear from you. And until next time, I'm Katie Schmidt, and this is The Dairy Show. The Dairy Show.